is not that there aren't commands. Jesus said, listen, these things I've commanded you, that your joy may be full. So we have plenty of commands, and we should stand at attention. That's really what presenting ourselves means, to be at His disposal. But He's not a tyrant that just says, I command you to do this and do that. You know, and sometimes I catch myself as a parent just throwing out orders. And there's a place for that, obviously, to just say, here's what I want done. But there's also a place for coming alongside and exhorting and urging. And the wise parent does a little of both. And God, the Heavenly Father, He is the perfect one. He says, I urge you, in light of what I've done for you, I urge you to give me your life. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Present Yourselves. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I would ask you a couple questions as we begin. Is your life, and I just think about it right now, and your past week, you know, I don't know where you're coming from. Maybe you're just coming off vacation or whatever. Just the norm of things. Is your life, can it be described as abandoned to God? And is your life, is your lifestyle, could you describe it secondly as a sacrifice? Sacrificial in any way. I urge you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me encourage you right now that in the next week, uh, take this verse 1 and really mull it over. Mull it over. Meditate on it. In fact, take one and two, really. And ask God to uh, apply it to your life. It's such a valuable text. In fact, we're going to be in it several weeks. There is so much here that we won't finish it today, I know. But uh, ask God even, ask those questions I asked. Lord, could I call my life presented to you, abandoned to you? Is there anything in my lifestyle that would really speak of a living and holy sacrifice? And uh, prayerfully just stop and maybe just take your devotional time only in verse 1, perhaps, uh, sometime this week. Spend some real time in it. But if ever a text needs context, it seems to me it's this one. And we've been in Romans for a long time through 11 chapters, and we have seen this great description of what God has done for us, the righteousness of God in Christ for all those who believe, the amazing statement of the gospel for 11 chapters. And look at the immediate context. Look at verse 36 of 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You can't miss it. 
I mean, it's as if he's done. He says, after summarizing everything he has to say, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You can't miss it, even on just a superficial reading, that this is a major turning point in Romans. He says, so be it. Amen. I'm done. But he's not done. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren. This is the crux of where he's been going. And this, by the way, is a pattern with God and truth, Christianity. You see, religion, man-made philosophy and religions, even sometimes that which goes under the name of Christianity, Christian religion, you know, where men come up with just Christian principles and try to make it into religion. Religion says, here's what you need to do for God. And if you do this much for God, why then God will owe you something. And chapter 11 summarized 11 chapters of Christianity by saying, you can't do anything for God. He has done it all. He has done it. Verse 36 is a great summary of Romans. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. Who could first give to Him that it might be paid back to? Nobody. He has done it all. Now, now, in light of Him having done it all for you, now, He says, what should we do? What should our response be? Don't turn that around. I think there's a real... uh, It's probably one of the biggest problems in people's thinking around the world today, and it's always been this way. We get what we should do for God ahead of what He'll do for us so that religion says, you do this and then God will bless you. You do this and you'll be worthy of God and He'll someday give you heaven or something. Don't don't do it that way. Listen to God's order. God has done it. And as a Christian, don't start thinking about what you should do. A lot of sermons just pound away on what we ought to be doing for God rather than rejoicing in what He has done for us. And then from that flows what we should do. So don't confuse the order, but don't neglect the order either. In other words, he's not done with Romans. we got 12, 13, 4, what do we got? Five more chapters. And every epistle in the New Testament almost follows this pattern, some more than others in the sense of some are very systematic, others are a little bit less clearly divided. But first he tells us what God has done, and then he gives us our duties, what we should do in light of that, our response. And so you can think of it in terms of doctrine, And duty, doctrine not being some just religious data, but truth, teaching about what God has done for us, and then our response in light of that. And doctrine is never given merely to be enjoyed. Truth from God was given to transform us to change the way we think, the way we live. And as Christians, when we come to God's Word, it isn't just to store up more data. It's to see our lives changed as we get in touch with the Holy God and realize what He's done for us. If you know these things, Jesus told His men, blessed are you if you do them. 
That's when he gathered them together in John 13 and gave them some truth. And he said, now, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's the path of blessing. It's the path of wisdom. He closed his sermon, his most famous sermon probably, the Sermon on the Mount, by saying, listen, the man who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he's the guy building his house on the rock. The man who hears them and does not act is building his house, his life, his career on sand and it will someday be a shambles. No, it's always imperative that we respond to His Word. So as we come to Romans 12, remember where we've been, but don't forget when you study Romans, don't just study the first 11 chapters and let it go, and don't ever come to God's Word just merely to learn without thinking in terms of applying. Applying, and that's where we're going the rest of the time. I think it's helpful. This is such a crux. It's such a hinge in the book of Romans. We're at such a turning point that it's helpful to just stand back from it just a minute and look at verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, up to now, let me give you the broad sweep, because up to now he's been teaching about God's righteousness available in Christ. And as I've said many times, the first 11 chapters are the most systematic and thorough explanation of the righteousness of God in the Bible. From here on, he's talking about practical righteousness in our lives. And you can watch it unfold, chapter 12, 13, and following, in this way. And I think it's significant to see the order. And just seeing the larger context kind of helps you see why these verses are so crucial and why we're going to spend some time here. First, practical righteousness in relationship to God, verses 1 and 2. Then, verses 3 through 16, practical righteousness in relationship to other believers. He kind of goes out concentrically from your relationship to God, to the brethren, the family of God, other believers, then practical righteousness starting at verse 17 to the end of chapter 12 in relationship to the outside world. And then practical righteousness, in other words, living in a righteous way regarding civil authorities, chapter 13, regarding weaker brethren, chapter 14, and a host of other things that he'll talk about. And so he kind of moves out from that direction. And again, you see the systematic order of Paul's mind and the Holy Spirit telling us these things. Uh, there's reason for this. Everything starts with your relationship with God. Your practical righteousness even, even the lifestyle of righteousness, it begins by being rightly attuned to God, your Savior. So the Christian life isn't just a bunch of going out and reaching out horizontally. The horizontal will be based on the vertical. So verse 1 comes first for a reason. It all starts with God and the great statement of our duty, really. In fact, if you wanted to, you know, and, and, and in one sense it'd be good maybe for us to do this right now uh, while we're in these verses is to just say, what if Romans ended at verse 2? He said it all for 11 chapters. He said, here's what God has done. Now, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual ser service of worship. It's a rational, logical thing to do. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm done. 
Paul could have said in one sense. And he just said it all. In other words, it's all here. Our duty is to present ourselves to God. It's to abandon ourselves. This word is very strong. It means to put yourself at His disposal. It means to consecrate your life to Him. He died for you. And you present your life to Him. Now, in a very real sense, this is the only imperative that we've seen in Romans. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean this. Maybe you didn't notice. But we've been looking at, what, at least 11 pages, 11 chapters of fantastic truth, and there have been no commands. <laughs> there have been no imperatives. There's no, you do this, you do that. There's just nothing. He's just saying what God has done. He's argued logically, he's argued persuasively, but he hasn't said, now here's what I want you to do, and here's what you... None of that. This is the very first imperative. Now, if you're sharp, you might say, no, nah, I think there was another one. We'll turn back to it. I showed you this when we were in chapter 6, the only other imperative. Look back at chapter 6. And you'll see why I say this is the only one of Romans, really. And really, in a sense, 12.1 is the first one. The very first one and the last one, if you want to look at it that way. Although there's going to be many sub-points to what he's saying. But chapter 6, there was another imperative. In fact, there's four of them right in a cluster in verse 11, 12, and 13. After he's presented what Christ has done for us, he said, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Now, here he's telling us, you know, things to do. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you should obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, there it is. He says, no, consider, don't present yourself to sin. Present yourself to God, same command. But he kind of just leaves it there. And we had a good time looking at that, but he gets right back to stating what Christ has done for us. And it really wasn't his intent to go into detail about what it means to present ourselves to God, what it means to give our life over to him. But now at chapter 12, he's done explaining what Christ has done, and now he says, here's what, we sh what our response should be. Here's our duty in light of the doctrine of the first 11 chapters. And he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Put yourself, put your life on the altar. Commit it to him. Yield. Put yourself at his disposal. Abandonment. My daughter and I were talking, and she was using that term to describe this, and I said, that's exactly what I'm going to be speaking on next Sunday. The abandonment of giving yourself over, presenting yourself to God. That's what he's calling for. It's realizing you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, Corinthians 6 says. You're not your own. That's what a Christian is. He's the one who realizes Christ died for me. Now, notice. Notice two things. Look at verse 1. And notice two things. First of all, I urge you. 
Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you, it's striking to me, that even in this main crux, this main imperative, this crucial text, he doesn't say, I command you. He says, I urge you. I exhort you. It's the word parakaleo, where that's the verbal form of the term for the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who comes alongside. And it has this idea of entreating or urging. There's a tenderness to it. After all that God has done to him, be the glory forever. Amen. I urge you, brethren. Can you hear Paul's voice and can you hear the Lord's voice? Isn't it so like the Lord? Having done everything for us, he says, now I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, he does this not by accident. It's habitual with him. Uh, Over in Ephesians, which is another book that unfolds just like this, for three chapters he gives us all the wealth we have in Christ, all the riches. And then chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. It's the same term. I urge you, I entreat you, I come alongside you and and urge you to live for Christ. Why would you live for anything or anyone else? Oh, I urge you. And by the way, we translate it rightfully in the noun form. The parakletos, the Holy Spirit, is the helper. And when you and I, when we learn how to exhort one another... We're learning how to be helpers, if you will. We're learning how to be tools of the Holy Spirit. One of the great ministries of proclaiming the Word, when we thought about uh, the commissioning, for instance, as we sent out to preach the Word, it's to entreat, to exhort, to use the Word to encourage one along to do the right thing, to live Life. Uh, turn over to Philemon. Just look at it for a minute. It's good sometimes to see it in other contexts. Look at that little letter of Philemon right before Hebrews. A little one-page letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And he's urging Philemon to turn loose. He's become a Christian now to turn loose of the runaway slave that Paul has led to the Lord, Onesimus. And he says, you know, I could probably order you. I could command you, Philemon, to do this, but I'm not going to. And here you see this term again, and I think it's helpful to see, and this is the tone of God's exhortation to us. Verse 8 of Philemon, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper, he's the apostle, he could have just said, I order you to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, verse 9, I rather appeal to you. Exhort, urge, parakaleo. I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, he says for the second time, for my child whom I've begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, turn him loose. I could order you to do what is right and proper, but I rather appeal to you. 
And I'll tell you what, I really believe that that's the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Uh, it's not to set those two, by the way, in kind of opposition. It's not that there aren't commands. Jesus said, listen, these things I've commanded you that your joy may be full. So we have plenty of commands, and we should stand at attention. That's really what presenting ourselves means, to be at his disposal. But he's not a tyrant that just says, I command you to do this and that. You know, and sometimes I catch myself as a parent just throwing out orders. And there's a place for that, obviously, to just say, here's what I want done. But there's also a place for coming alongside and exhorting and urging. And the wise parent does a little of both. And God, the Heavenly Father, He is the pattern of what a good father ought to be. He is the perfect one. He says, I urge you, in light of what I've done for you, I urge you to give me your life, to put yourself at my disposal. So don't miss that. And I'll tell you what, when you're ministering, learn how to do this. Cultivate this. Uh, I don't think that the way to disciple someone is to just start ordering them, here's what you need to do, do this, do that, do that, do that. It's to come alongside and exhort and lay out what God has done and then say, I urge you. I urge you, therefore, brethren. Well, look at this. Look at this truth. Spend time in Romans 1 through 11 before you get to 12.1. If you're discipling someone, you're going to mentor someone, spend much time when you talk with them about what God has done and then urge them to respond likewise. And when you do, you'll be a tool of the Holy Spirit. You'll be a helper. You'll be a human helper, you know, uh, but you'll be a, a Spirit-filled human helper. You know, you can let the Helper, capital H, work through you in that way. And then don't miss it. Notice, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, if I'm reading Romans, and if I'm writing Romans, I'd probably say, I urge you by the righteousness of God. But that's not what he says. Look at it. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, don't mistake this. I said early on in Romans, when we say that the great theme of Romans is the righteousness of God, we're not in any way pitting righteousness against His mercy. In fact, the righteousness of God is not merely the attribute of righteousness. It includes that. But the theme of Romans is the righteousness of God through Christ, available to us so that we can be right with God. And so Paul summarizes what he has written for 11 chapters by not the righteousness of God this time, but the little phrase... The mercies of God, His compassion, His goodness. He doesn't command, He urges. And He doesn't say, by a holy and righteous God. He says, by the mercies of God. And He brings to our mind, the Holy Spirit would bring to your mind today, look what I've done for you. Look at my mercy. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Present Yourselves, a message from our series in the Book of Romans.
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, God sent His Son. God gave His Son for you. He said that He's going to work everything together for your good. Everything. You're called according to his purpose. And in fact, he said, I've planned from all eternity. I chose you out from eternity. And those whom I've called, I'm going to justify and I'm going to glorify. And it's so certain he put it all in the past tense. Remember chapter 8? Nothing can separate us from his love. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, don't hold back. Therefore, in light of what God has done, Give yourself to Him. Abandon yourself to Him as a, look at the rest of the verse, a living and holy sacrifice. Don't hold anything back. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Present Yourselves. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.